My name is Keith Beavers, and I was looking up some facts about movies, and one really interesting one came up. It said, movies were once made in black and white. <laughs> is, that, is that a fact? What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network? This is the Wine War One Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers, and I am the tasting director of Vine Pair. And yes, that's true. That's a fact. Today, we're going to talk about one of my most favorite one of my most one of my favorite subjects about wine: blind tasting. It don't don't worry. It's going to be fun. We're going to get. It's going to be. Don't worry. It's going to be fun. I promise. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Jay Vineyards. Judy Jordan, the founder of Jay Vineyards, is a pioneer in the Sonoma Valley. Today, its Pinot Noir honors those roots, producing high-quality, totally Californian wines that offer a plush, plummy palate and notes of spice and cherry and depth. One of my most... No, how do I say this? One of the most exciting things that I've... No, how do I say this? Some of the most enjoyable moments I've had in teaching wine is when I did the blind tasting class. There it is. <laughs> That's it. I love doing blind tasting classes. Now, the thing is, you don't ever have to blind taste in your life ever to enjoy wine. You don't even, you, to, to understand wine more, you don't have to. You don't have to do it at all. You can just drink, sniff wine, enjoy it that way, and just kind of go about your life never blinding wine, and you'll be a okay just fine. There's a documentary out there called Psalm and they show these very intense scenes where to get towards the pin, which is, I guess the graduation part of the Psalm thing, they have to blind taste. I'm not really sure what that, how that helps them in the actual fine dining world, because you basically know all the wines you're buying and then you all, you know, all the wines you're serving. But I guess it gives them a sense of like, okay, I really understand wine to a point that like, I know the vintage of this from the nose kind of really intense stuff. Tasting for quality, clarity, and flaws makes complete sense. Actually, that part does make sense because there's actually been humans tasting wine forever. I mean, like since antiquity, there's actually the first um, documentation of a wine tasting is on Egyptian Roman papyrus. That says, the wine taster has declared the Aobayan wine to be unsuitable. Damn, tough vintage. <laughs> that same century, 3rd century AD, there is a Roman dude named Florientus who says the following. When and how to taste wine. Some people taste wine when the wind is in the north because the wines remain unchanged and undisturbed. Experienced drinkers prefer to taste wine when the wind is from the south because this has the most effect on the wine and reveals its true nature. One should not taste when hungry because the sense of taste is blunted, nor after heavy drinking or a large meal. The person should not do so after consumption of food with a sharp or very salty taste or anything which affects the sense of the taste strongly, but should have eaten as lightly as possible and be free from indigestion. But for us wine lovers, in the non-professional realm, we just like to drink wine and enjoy it. And in season one, I do a whole thing about how our brains understand wine. What's the science behind it? A science that the ancients did not understand, of course. And it's a really 
fascinating kind of science that our brains are just absolutely incredible at what they do. I mean, it's just, it's insane. And the, the, the sense of smell that we have is so intense because it connects to our olfactory bulb and the numbers are just insane. I mean, we have thousands of receptor cells attached to our olfactory bulb and each one of those cells can express a single odorant or receptor gene is what they're called. And the wild thing is these receptor genes make up 3% of your individual makeup. There's a 3%, 3% of our body is experiencing intake of odorants or aromas. And each of those receptor cells are sensitive to even smaller groups of related aromas. <laughs> this is getting very complex. And aromas are made of a bunch of different molecules which are interacting with the, the receptor cells in your olfactory bulb, and then they're sending signals throughout the brain, which is creating patterns that will come back to your senses as an aroma in the word. It'll come out of your mouth, blueberry. And it all happens in a split of a split of a split of a second. I don't even know what that is, but it's really, really fast. When you smell something, you know it's blueberry. Like, oh, that's blueberry. And with all that happening, humans are actually able to recognize and memorize up to 10,000 different aromas. I mean, there's stuff that we've forgotten, but that's the thing. Even though we've forgotten it, we're also, we also have this ability to recall memories. We recall aromas that we had as a child. So there are patterns of aromas in our brain that have filed away into our hard drive that we remember from a kid, we were a kid, that we smell in modern times like, oh my God, is that Lucky Charms? But that right there, that recall, all that stuff you've experienced in your entire life, that is the part that makes people nervous when they smell wine. And this is kind of where blind tasting fits in your world as a normal wine person consumer that's not in the industry. Maybe you are in the industry, but as someone who's just trying to understand wine more, for us, blind tasting is not a competition, although it turns into one usually. And it's also not something that you need for, you know, to achieve a goal like the SOM pin or, you know, a job. If somebody's like, you have to blind taste to get this job, that'd be weird. What blind tasting does, I think, for the everyday consumer of wine is if you're on a wine journey and you want to understand wine more, the blind tasting is an awesome game to play to help flex that gray matter and help you understand wine more. You'll be blinding something. You don't know what it is, but you're looking at it. You're smelling it. You're grabbing stuff from it. You still don't know what it is. And when you find out what it is, you're probably going to be wrong, which is awesome because the kind of the whole point of this is to get it wrong so that when you get all the notes together and you've guessed it and you didn't get it right, what you, what it actually is, you now have a profile for that wine and then you can move forward. Even if it's one variety, you will find the similarities. If that wine is made in different ways, you'll still kind of get little pieces of it when you're tasting throughout like a Chardonnay or, or something like that. That's what blind tasting is all about. And the cool part is doing it with friends because everyone loves to just, you know, have fun with it. And it does become a competition. I mean, it's like when I used to teach it, I was, I would tell everyone, guys, this is not a competition. But by the end, it was a competition because we are human and we love to compete. And that's totally fun because it's fun. So that's what blind tasting is. Blind tasting is about having fun. 
and in as a result, understanding wine more for yourself. And there's two different ways to do blind tastings. But before we get into that, um, you can blind taste whatever you want. But it if you're just getting into this and you you don't want a major challenge, there's, there's a couple things to think about. Number one, um, do varietal wine. You know, a Syrah, a Merlot, a Sauvignon Blanc. I think, you know, that's an easy one, but Chardonnay. That will really, if you're really trying to, you know, learn, that'll really help you out. You start doing blends, it gets a little more complicated. Um, you can do sparkling wine, but the limited, the category is kind of limited and it's a little bit more difficult, but it's doable. Um, but for red and white wine, varietal wine is a good way to start. Also, if you have some decanters laying around, that might help. Not everyone has decanters laying around, but what you can do is sometimes bottles look a certain way and people can derive what might be inside that bottle because of the way it looks. And even if you're trying to hide the bottle in a sock or a paper bag or something like that, people might still be able to see the the shape of the bottle. If that worries you, just go ahead and save bottles when you drink them and then use those bottles when you do the blind tasting or just pour it in another room and bring it in. Also, spit buckets or no, or no spit buckets, you know, whatever you guys want to do. <laughs> if you don't want to spit, just man, have some cheese and crackers laying around because you're going to need some food. Another thing to think about is we're not trying to get down to the vintage. I mean, you can go as far as you want. You can go to the vintage. You can go to the soil, you know, the microclimate if you want. But we don't have to. We're just trying to understand wine to help our brains as wine lovers enjoy wine that much more. You might get to vintage if you start going that you know, down that rabbit hole. But in the beginning, don't even worry about that. If you go back to season one of Wine 101, the look, sniff, swirl, sniff, sip situation is really all you need for blind tasting. But within each one of those things, there's something to think about to help build a profile to get to where you can make a guess. And this is where the two things come in. Either you can just take a bunch of notes and at the end you can guess, or you can do something called the options game, which was invented in or developed in Australia in, I think, the 1960s by a guy named Len Evans. Big deal in Australian wine, a big personality. But what he would do is he would get people in a room and he would give them all glasses of wine. No one knew what it was. And he would play the options game. And what this basically is, is the person who brought the wine will verbalize options. And then people have to guess the options. And then we whittle it down and whittle it down and whittle it down. It's kind of a good way to start doing blind tastings if you've never done it before because it's less intimidating and you don't need a, lot of, you don't need a bunch of note-taking or you could take notes and then guess it, but the person who brought the wine will give you options. For example, old world, new world, new world. Okay, South Africa, Australia, Australia. Okay, Hunter Valley, Barossa Valley, Barossa Valley. Okay, and then they get it right, they get it wrong, and that's how the options game is played. And in doing so, you're kind of, I, want, I don't want to say superficially, but kind of a surface level understanding of the wine. Now, when you start taking notes, things get a little bit more intense and you're really kind of getting in there. And as far as notes are concerned, the, 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 uh, the guild of sommeliers have this really amazing printout grid they used to have. I don't think they have it anymore, but it was awesome. I used to print it out and walk people through it. And that was kind of my template for teaching the blind tastings. 
but all you really need, really need is a piece of paper and say, put look, smell, taste, conclusion. That's all you need. And in each one, there's something to think about. Now, if you want to get really geeky and you do not have to do this is I would suggest to not agitate or swirl the wine until you're almost ready to sniff it, but not even then. I'll get to that in a second, but do whatever you want. If you want to swirl the wine, if that helps you get through it, do it. If you have your glass in hand, you don't have to tip it or anything. Just look at it. And for red wine, it's a lot easier than white wine. Of course, there's some, a couple things for white wine, but for red wine, is it bluish? Is it dark and inky? That could mean it's a, a youthful wine. And then you have to think about that. Is it a place, is it coming from a place that is known for its youthful red wines that don't really age that well, that well, like a long time, like Montepulciano or Malbec? Is it lighter in color? Can you kind of see light shining through it a little bit? This would mean the wine has a little more acidity to it. It's not as heavy. What could that mean? It could be a Pinot Noir. It could be a Gamay. Any other, it could be a Schiava. It could be a red wine that, just think about the red wines that aren't that heavy and you're getting a little bit closer. For white wines, you can kind of look for the oxidation. If you don't see a lot of oxidation, like a little dark, dark color, it, or if you do, it could be skin contact. It could be barrel fermented. If you see a little bit of green tinge in the wine, that means it has probably not seen any oak whatsoever. What kind of places do wines that are mostly in stainless steel? Then you can kind of tilt the wine glass. And for red wine, look at the edge, or all the wine, look at the edge of the wine in the glass. And if it's nice and dark and inky like everything else, it's one of those youthful wines. But if it has a little rusty tinge around the edge... That means it's seen some age. Okay, now we're talking about aged wine. Where in the world does aged wine happen? You can make a short list. And then this is the only time when the tears or legs of a wine are important. <laughs> it's when you're blind tasting a wine. When you tip that wine glass back, notice the legs. Are they thick or are they thin? If the legs are thick, that means it's higher in alcohol. So then you can kind of think about that. Okay, so is it aged or is it not aged? Is it high in alcohol? Is it not high in alcohol? These are all, then you can kind of start thinking about the grapes and the wines in the world that have these characteristics and start to formulate it. Okay, so now you look at the wine, you've taken some notes, you're getting a sense of what's going on here, red or white, whatever it is in the glass. Now comes time for the part that makes a lot of people nervous, and that's the nose. It's always the nose, but this is the thing. Take your time. Don't worry about it. Smell it as many times as you want. You get all the time in the world. No one's timing you. Get into it. And before you start thinking of all the things, like all the kind of very subjective stuff, like I smell a number two eraser from when I was a kid. I know that's weird, just throwing it out there. There are things that you can kind of smell in general to get you to the more subjective stuff. This is especially with red wine, but is it does it smell a little bit leafy, like forest floor or something like that? That could be a, an indication that the wine comes from a, a place that has a lot of rain throughout the year. What places have a lot of rain? I think the first thing I think of is Bordeaux. Do you smell vanilla? Well, there's an indication of oak. And how intense is that oak? Is it soft? Is it more intense? If it's, if it's kind of up in your face, think about places that would do that. American oak is done a lot in Rioja and Ribeiro del Duero in Spain. Of course, then you have the intensity of oak in California from Napa and stuff like that. 
for white wine, do you smell tropical notes? Tropical notes often indicate the primary aromas of a variety, meaning the varieties, the aromas that are inherent in the variety when it goes through fermentation, therefore indicating that it's a stainless steel wine and not a wine aged in some kind of oak or cement. That's something you can jot down. And also with white wine, the diacetyl, do you smell butter? Has this wine gone through malolactic conversion? And if it has, again, think about where that's prominent and popular. Try to get as many of these things down and then start going crazy with all the subjective stuff you smell. Because the thing is, those things you jot down that are more subjective are going to help you down the road when you're just tasting wine in general. And just to, just to kind of get this out of the way, first impressions are everything when blind tasting. Just jot it down. Don't second guess yourself. Jot it down. Then the fun part happens. We get to sip the wine. And this is, this is a very interesting thing because what happens is usually what you smell on the nose, we call their aromas. And then when you taste the wine, we call... Sometimes, you know, we call them flavors, but really what flavors are, are aromas on the palate. And what's happening is usually the aromas that you get on the nose will carry through to the palate. And there could be an indi- situation where as you have wine in your palate, which is a much warmer environment, it will vaporize even more and give you maybe a one or two more aromas. And sometimes you can do the thing where you bring more air into your mouth like that. And what that does is that uh, that brings oxygen back through your retronasal passage to your or orbital frontal bulb that way. And sometimes that can help you out. But the thing about putting the wine on your palate, this is about texture, not really about aroma. This is about sweet, bitter, salty, umami. So what you're doing here is you're getting a sense. Well, first of all, when you put the wine in your palate, just kind of get a sense of it. Is it heavy? Is it light? Is it, does it have, does it, is it astringent? Is that the tannin that's kind of like pulling all the moisture out of your, out of your mouth? Um, is it a little bit hot? Actually, that's something back. You can taste something about the nose. If the alcohol is very high, you're going to smell the ethanol, but does that carry over to the palate as well? What's the wine like on the palate? Is it austere? Is it structured? Does it have viscosity? I mean, is it fleshy? If it's kind of hot on the palate and the nose and you taste it and it's kind of sweet, that could be an indication of residual sugar, but also an indication of a higher alcohol because alcohol was once sugar. And then that sweetness, again, categorize it. Where do you think? Is it going to be a Moscato? Do you think it may be? Or is that sweetness more of in a white wine? Or is that sweetness more of an alcohol thing? So it's like a big buttery, sh- and you know what? It's a Chardonnay. It's a high alcohol Chardonnay. That's what it is. So you can kind of work through that. If you get a little bit of a bitterness to it, that's a high acid wine normally. And then again, with that high acid, just like we said with the color, if it's a lighter in color, it's probably a higher acid wine. What is that? Pinot Noir, Gamay, you can kind of run through it there. And then the really kind of like further away, kind of like I I would say the taste texture adjacent would be umami. Umami does not often come through as a texture so much, but it can come through as a slight texture and an aroma at the same time. It's more of like, you know, you can feel this sort of like viscosity and weight on your palate and there's a little bit of an earthiness. It's just kind of like a vibe that you get, but it's really not a hundred percent. So the other ones are much more, I guess to say objective. 
So is it intense? Is it full-bodied? Is it a cab or a Brunello? Is the heat too high? Is it new world? They call it the ethanol burn in the, in the wine industry. Then swirl the wine around in your mouth like mouthwash, like Listerine or Scope, and then either spit or swallow. And then you have to assess, you don't have to, but then you can assess the finish. Does it kind of just go away? Does it hang out for a minute and then peace? Or is it like tattooed onto your palate and you can't get rid of it until tomorrow? And once you get all these things down, take a look at your notes, see what you came up with, and then make a guess. And you know what? Get it wrong. Because getting it wrong is a lot of fun. For example, you thought it was a Pinot Noir. Turns out it's a Saint Laurent from Austria. Uh, what's that? Well, now you learn what a Saint Laurent is from Austria, and then you can kind of go down that pathway. And let's say you're at a restaurant and they don't have, well, they have Pinot Noir, but you're like, I want to try something different. You guys have any Saint Laurent? Boom, you know something more about wine. And going forward, if you already know, let's say it was Pinot Noir, you get a sense of that Pinot Noir. So now every Pinot Noir you taste, you build off the profile you did when you're blind tasting and it flexes that gray matter and helps you understand wine more and more and more. You never have to blind taste ever in your life, but it is kind of fun and it helps flex the gray matter. I hope this helped a little bit and got rid of all of the, if you're nervous about blind tasting, don't worry about it. Enjoy it or don't even do it, but it's fun to do. I used to do it with my employees and my restaurant just because it was fun. Didn't have any requirements for it. It was literally after the shift was done, we would do it. It's a lot of fun. All right, guys, talk to you next week. Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. E&J Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pairs Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide spectrum of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but this is a wine podcast. Whether you are new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. Visit thebarrelroom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.